Let's pray. Father, we will tread on serpents now. And I pray that you would fulfill your promise in Romans 16, 20, that Satan will soon be crushed under your feet. That by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb, the powers of darkness will be nullified and driven back and a great space of light and truth and hope and cleansing and power and righteousness and justice and compassion will be created. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. This is Sanctity of Human Life Weekend, Martin Luther King Weekend, and Sanctity of Human Life Weekend always come back to back in January in this country. And we think at Bethlehem that globally and nationally, racism with all the carnage that comes in its wake and abortion with the 50 million babies that have been killed since Roe v. Wade, 1973. These two, racism and abortion, we think are stupendous, shattering, and related sins. They're staggering because the scope and the depth of the assault on the image of God in both is huge. And they are related because both racism and abortion are driven by the treasonous notion that myself is central and myself is sovereign. My race is better than your race. And therefore I have a right to think of you and act towards you with disrespect, distaste. I have rights over you. Mine is better. It's mine. I am central. I am sovereign. And if I want my baby, my baby is a person. And if I don't want my baby, my baby is not a person. If I want her, it's illegal for you to kill her. And if I don't want her, it's legal for you to kill her. My sovereign desire decides her personhood and her rights. My might makes to kill her right. So they're related. And the relation is me. My sovereign, central, self 
defining reality. So we take them together every year. Racism and abortion are staggering and related. And now our prayer is first that God our Creator would be glorified in His supreme right over His person-forming work in the womb. Secondly, our prayer is that Christ, our Redeemer, would be glorified for His forgiveness of sin, the sin of abortion, for all who repent and trust Him. Third, our prayer is that thousands of women in the threatening situation of an unplanned pregnancy, would find the reality and the readiness of compassion in Christ's people before the horror of abortion. And fourth, our prayer is that through you, through you, God's people, there would spread across this land a Christ-exalting commitment to the preciousness of God-given life. So we're going to look at Psalm 106 in relation to the sin of abortion and its roots and effects and the cause of life against it. Let me give you a flyover. It's a long psalm, but it's not hard to get what it's about. It begins and ends with the identical phrase, praise the Lord. In Hebrew, a word you all know, hallelujah. Praise you, Yahweh. That's the first and the last phrase of this great psalm. Praising the Lord doesn't merely mean saying nice things about Him. It means saying great things about Him, believing great things about Him, feeling great things about Him, that He is very praiseworthy, that He is great and glorious and wonderful, more valuable than anything else, and to be desired above all that is. That's what praising God is. Praise you, Yahweh. I love you. I admire you. I adore you. I worship you. I stand in awe of you. I value you. I want you. I treasure you. You are mine. You're my God. You're my everything. That's praise. Vain, empty talk is not praise. Comes for the heart or it's not praise. Praise. And that's where the psalm begins, and that's where the psalm ends, and it is manifestly the goal of this psalm and the Bible and existence. Under that praise is a thankful heart, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And at the end, verse 47, that we may give thanks to your holy name. And if you ask why, in view of this psalm, with all of its horror, Failure, sin, rebellion. The summons is to give thanks and praise. He gives us a clear answer. Verse 1, for he is good. 
for his steadfast love endures forever. In other words, thank him and praise him because he's good and his covenant-keeping love is unfailing, beginning to end, in spite of all the failure of this psalm. And that's what makes it so good. So, we're going to skip verses 3 through 5. Come back to them at the end. And look at the failures. There's ten of them as I count them. You could split them up into more. I mean, just name them for you. See, if you want to follow, you can jump from verse to verse, or you can just listen. Here is what we meet in Psalm 106. He tells the history of Israel from the Exodus to the Babylonian captivity. That's a long time, and it is one sad history. So take heart. God is God, He's good, and His steadfast love endures forever in spite of this. Verse 7, near the end, they rebelled by the Red Sea, by the sea, at the Red Sea. Verse 14, they had a wanton craving in the wilderness. Verse 16, they were jealous of Moses and Aaron. Verse 19, they made a calf at Horeb and worshipped a metal image. Verse 24, they despised the pleasant land and had no faith in the promise. Verse 28, they yoked themselves to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Verse 32, they angered God at the waters of Meribah and made Moses bitter in his spirit. Verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples, but mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. Verse 36, they served idols. Verse 37, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Rebellion, craving, jealousy, idolatry, despising God's good gifts, unbelief, Necromancy, murmuring, assimilation among the nations, serving their gods, sacrificing their own children. And the list could have been much longer. Why do you think he stopped where he stopped? They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. End of indictment. Wouldn't it perhaps be because every human being on the planet would know, wouldn't they? Obviously not, but wouldn't they? That this is as low as you can go. This is the worst way to make war on God. And this is the most dehumanizing thing a mother can do. And a father. So let's read it. As hard as it is, as it is. Verses 37 to 39. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They poured out innocent blood the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. 
and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. I want to say four things about that final indictment. Number one, they were not sacrificing sheep. They were not sacrificing goats or oxen. They were sacrificing their sons and their daughters. These weren't pigeons. They were little boys and little girls. They were pouring out their blood. Evidently, they slit their throats and held them upside down until the the altar was covered with their blood. Which was probably more humane than what is done 32 times a day in this state by dismembering. Number two, this blood is called innocent blood. That doesn't mean the babies had no sin. We know that. This is a very common phrase in the Old Testament. Jeremiah used it to describe himself. We know Jeremiah was no sinless man. Listen to what Jeremiah said. If you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourself. What did he mean by that? He meant, I didn't do the crime you said I did. What this means is, these babies had not done any crime worthy of being killed. Among human beings, there is innocence. Vertically, there's not. We're all guilty before God. Between each other... I have innocence. You try to throw me in jail for being unfaithful to my wife, I have it. For stealing a car, I have it. I'm innocent. You can't say that before God. You can say it. That's what justice is justice in the world. And these babies are innocent. Every baby is innocent. The Lord owns life and therefore can take it at any age and do the baby in you no wrong. Some of you have tasted that big time. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Humans may not do that. God can, we can't. We don't own life. God owns life. He has told us very plainly in the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, which simply means don't take innocent life. Number three, when they sacrificed their children to pagan idols, They were sacrificing them to demons. Let's get this together. Bring those two together. Verses 37 and 38. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. 
They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. The Apostle Paul used this language and thought. It occurs here and in Deuteronomy. And he uses it to explain and clarify what's going on in the pagan temples in Corinth when meat is offered or food is offered to them. Here's what he wrote. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 19. What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons. Not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. From which texts I infer, whatever system the world comes up with, religious or secular, a system that obscures God, contradicts His Word, lures people to seek their happiness by making sacrifices to the system, defaces and destroys the image of God. Behind that system are demons. That's my inference from these texts. Their ultimate goal, those demons, is the degradation of God and the destruction of His people. Demons are willing to send millions of babies to heaven if they can make millions of mothers and fathers murderers. They know what they're doing. Fourth, when children are sacrificed to demons, the parents and the priests, the abortionists, are playing the whore. Verse 39. Thus they became unclean in their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Now you know that in the Old Testament, God is pictured as the husband of Israel. And Israel is pictured as the wife of her God. Idolatry, therefore, is often in the Old Testament pictured as adultery, or in extreme cases as here, prostitution. A wife whoring after idols, selling herself to other gods. When you play the whore, the last thing you want is a pregnancy. And you must eliminate it. So to satisfy the adulterous demands of the system, you eliminate the baby. That's the picture here in this verse. Playing the whore like that. Summary. Number one, these are sons and daughters. Little boys and little girls, not sheep and oxen. Number two, their blood is innocent. They're innocent. 
They shouldn't be killed. It's against the law. Number three, they were being sacrificed to demons. And number four, like an unfaithful wife getting rid of an unwanted pregnancy so her husband would not know. Now the parallels here with abortion are manifest and pervasive. These children in the womb today are our sons and daughters. Passing seven inches down the birth canal does not make a person a person. I have preached 25 sermons on pro-life, and I find the Bible a bottomless reservoir of relevant material. I come to these sermons wondering, what will I say this year? And I find endless possibilities. I only mention that to say in a dozen of those sermons I have given extensive rationale for why the unborn are persons, biblically, scientifically, and other ways. All those sermons are on the web. Everything I've ever said is on the web. So if you wonder, well, why didn't you defend that tonight? I said, I don't have time. There are other things at stake here. These little children in the womb are our sons and our daughters. They are innocent of any crime deserving death. The crimes of fathers and mothers are not their crimes. The blood being poured out is a gruesome business that you should inform yourself about as they pull the legs and arms apart. And these babies squirm to get out of the way and would scream, if they could scream, would scream. And there is no whitewashing of this anymore in the existence of the web. Everybody knows or willfully doesn't know. And demons are behind the business of the abortion industry. They are behind a cultural fabric of so-called reproductive freedom. They are behind the otherwise inexplicable blindness of the daily to the daily violence that everyone can see if they would see. And they are behind all the clinics and all the sin that leads to it. And we may be sure that these demons are very glad for every dead baby and every guilt-ridden mother and father and grandparent and church. Remember what Jesus said about the devil? He said, he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. So, in sacrificing our children to the demons of deceit on the altar of abortion in the temples of Planned Parenthood, we play the whore and cheat on God and give our heart to another. That's the downside of Psalm 106. 
in relation to abortion. And it's not the main point of the psalm. And you know that. There's another scarlet thread, I should say, cord of steels. Only steel's not scarlet. Running through this psalm. Verse 1, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. That's what He's celebrating at the beginning. That's what He's going to be celebrating at the end. And in the middle, failure, 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 tenfold failure. And we're going to celebrate God's goodness. We're going to celebrate God's steadfast love. So listen to it as I trace the thread. Verse 8, Yet he saved them for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. Verse 10, He saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Verse 23, Therefore he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. He relented to Moses' prayer. He'll relent to yours. Verse 30, as the plague was spreading in judgment, Phineas stood up and intervened and the plague was stayed. God responded in mercy to Phineas' jealousy for the name of God as he speared two people having sex. Verse 43, many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. Verse 45, for their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. In other words, time and time again, the people deserved to be utterly destroyed, and God relented. He passed over it, even the sacrificing of the children. How could he do that? You know where I'm going. How could he do that? How could he pass over so many sins done beforehand? You have the text ringing in your ears, the most important paragraph in the Bible. Romans 3.25. That's where I'm going. When Paul looked back over the history of Israel, and is a history just like that, like your life, and he was just stunned that God had passed over so much sin. He didn't destroy them. And for Paul, that was a huge problem. It's not a problem for anybody in America today, but it's a problem for Paul that God would just pass over so much God-dishonoring sin that we just read about, tenfold rebellion and failure in God's face, defacing His image, turning on Him, not loving His gifts, hating His people, binding themselves together in sex with the Baal Peor. He doesn't take them out. Why? 
How can he do that and still be a just judge? Verse 25 of Romans 3 goes like this. But God put Jesus forward as a propitiation, a wrath-removing, justice-satisfying propitiation by his blood, that is, by his death, to be received by faith. And we could add faith alone. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. That's why Psalm 106 can be what it is. He was pointing. There's got to be a resolution of this. This tenfold failure, this tenfold rebellion, and God not justly destroying this people over and over again. We got a better explanation than bulls and goats. We must have a better explanation. And the answer is Jesus. And that's the answer for your history too, isn't it? By faith... We receive Christ as the payment for all our sins. You know, when Kenny prayed, he said some of you women may have had an abortion. Good grief. They have, Kenny. I've never, I don't, well, I can't say that for sure. I regularly pray after these services with women. Five abortions, three abortions. You're here. You're not kidding ourselves. And I hope you heard what I just said. Our God is an amazing God. Of mercy. Now, are we ready for verses 3 and 4? That's the foundation. The indictment of abortion is here. It really is the wonderful work and offer of pardon is here. It really is. Verse 3. Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them. So when you have sinned grievously, and you have, I have. When you sin grievously, and then you find sweet, immeasurably precious pardon through Christ, what do you do with the rest of your life? You don't wallow anymore. No way. You don't wallow in it. Oh, poor me. I mean, think of Paul. He said, he said in 1 Timothy 1, the reason that God chose him as a murderer and a blasphemer was so that people who had committed such sins would take heart that the chief of sinners had been made an apostle. That's why God chose him in the womb and then let him become a murderer. 
because he knew that from the womb to the Damascus Road, that's my man. So if you think there's no future for you, you don't yet know him. And that's what the rest of the sermon is about. What do you do now? Where do we go now with our lives? Day in, day out, in this country of America, what do we do? You set your face to enjoy the fullest blessing of God. That's what you do. I'm a Christian hedonist. No secrets. You set your face to enjoy the fullest blessing of God, which in this text is what? Verse 3. Bless it. I'm after it. Bring it on. Show me what it is. I want it. I want it. All of it. Blessing. What is it? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. So now, you have sinned, you are pardoned, you know your God, and you know His ways, and His ways are justice and righteousness. You feel weak. You feel impossible. I can't happen. I can't do it. I'm not strong. I'm a nobody. Sin remains. And that's why verse 4 is so crucial. Remember me, O Lord. So now you're crying out. You're not, you're not swaggering. I can do this. I can change America. I can kill this thing. You can't. God can. So you cry out, remember me, O Lord. When you show favor to your people, help me. When you save them, that's why I pray every day. It's just John Piper's life. Help! That's who we are. He is so great. So ready to respond to that. In the most impossible situations of your life. Help! He's not deaf to that. So let me close with five ways to act justly and do righteousness all time, at all times. And I've made them rhyme. Supplication, consideration, education, legislation, proclamation. And I'm going to breeze over these really fast. And I ask Amanda, can I, can I write an article on this tonight and, and get it on the web Monday or Tuesday? And she said, we'll make it happen. So go to the Bethlehem website, be one of the banners up there, click on it, and I'll fill this out for you, okay? If you wonder, what, what else do you want to say under these heads? But let me give you what I, what I can do in the few minutes we have left. Supplication. You think your prayers are small in relation to this gargantuan issue of abortion. Well, they are, but your God is not. All prayers are little, God is big. Prayers move the arm of God. That's what they do. Regions Hospital. St. Paul no longer does abortions or trains abortionists, though they did for decades in the state doing almost all very late-term abortions 
Do you think there is any correlation to the untold number of prayer vigils that were held outside that and our involvement in them, tiny but real, for those decades? Do you think that there's any correlation? I suspect and believe that there is. Now, three o'clock on Sunday at the new Planned Parenthood, huge new center at the corner of Charles and Vandalia, just north of University, just east of 280. There will be another one of those and probably the first of not too many, I hope, until God simply defunds or destaffs that institution. So that'll be right after the march. March is at 2. When you're done there, if you want, go over to the Planned Parenthood Center. Pray. Supplication. Don't have to do it on a sidewalk. Not a bad idea, though. Number two, consideration. Consider women in crisis pregnancies. I have in mind here the amazing development of the crisis pregnancy center movement in this country. We support downtown New Life Family Services over on the, on the uh, campus at the university and on Burnsville, Amnion. There are perhaps up to 4,000 of these across the country. Do you know what this means? This means that in the last 25 years that I've been doing stuff, the pro-choice movement has been silenced with regard to the old, bitter, ugly criticism. All you care about is the baby before it's born. You don't care about what happens after it's born. You don't care about mamas and dads. This never was true. And now nobody can say it. Nobody. They're everywhere. Care is everywhere. And if you know anyone that is out of touch with somebody who would care before, during birth, after, long time after, direct them to New Life Family Services or Amnion or consideration of mothers, fathers, babies in the whole process of a crisis pregnancy, the birth and all the adjustments in the years following. Number three, education. Educate yourself and your children. Don't assume that the people around you know what's going on, know the history of it, or know the nature of it, know the effects of it on mom, for example, know anything about the pro-life movement and what's happening in the Twin Cities? We have 1,500 of these to give away. This is a 33-minute film called 180, produced by Ray Comfort. I've seen it twice. Be careful. It's got some pretty gruesome pictures of the Holocaust. If you can't handle that, don't go there. You can watch this online free, 180movie.com, or is it movie 180? 180movie, I think, .com. 
Yeah, 180movie.com. But we, we've got these north here and south, and uh, somebody bought them and let us give them away. And this is very powerful. It connects the Holocaust to abortion. And the reason I'm holding it up at this point is because if you think education is unnecessary, you will simply be appalled at the ignorance of the young people in this video. Absolutely appalled. Some have never heard of Adolf Hitler. You will relive what you don't know about history. So, if you've got fast internet, you don't need to take one. But if you'd like to give it to somebody, like a tract, watch it first and then give it away. I'd love to see this by the millions into the hands of young people especially. That's education. You know, now that the internet exists, education in regard to life is not only easy, it's fascinating, as hard as it is. Spend a half an hour tomorrow afternoon just searching on Google, pro-life, abortion, anything. Just follow it down, track it down. You will find amazing things. Number four, legislation. At Bethlehem, we distinguish between what a church as an institution could be involved in politically and what you should be involved in politically. If you don't get this, just work on it with us because we have a position and there are reasons for it. The business of this church as an institution is not to engage in partisan politics. If we did that, we would lose... And I don't give a rip about tax-exempt status. So don't think I'm going there. If they want to change that law, bring it on. We'll submit to the laws that be, and we'll survive fine. That's not what we'd lose. What I would lose if I or you were to engage as an institution in partisan politics is a freedom to speak prophetically into the moral and spiritual dimensions of all the issues without a political entanglement. I don't want anybody calling me a Republican or a Democrat. I hate abortion. I hate racism. That makes me a Republicocrat or something. <laughs> and that's pretty much what you should probably be known as. But be careful, because I'm telling you now, those constraints are not on you. As individuals in a democratic order, your calling, I believe, under God is to go beyond what the institution can do and engage yourself in the political process. And in fact, I would encourage, I don't say this often enough, obviously, I would encourage more of you to dream a dream of a vocation in politics because the present state of affairs is pretty bleak. And maybe that's our fault. That we have run from it and said, it just smells so bad and I'm so ashamed of those guys that I don't want anything to do with it. Well, 
It's that worse or you involved. So please make that distinction with us. That's number four. Pour yourself into legislation efforts as you are led by God's wisdom. Number five, proclamation. Our main calling as a church and as individuals is the greatest gift to the world, namely the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. This is the only message in the world that gives pardon for the agents of death and power for the agents of life. Let me say it again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only message in the world that gives pardon before God to the agents of death and power for those very people as they become agents of life. It's a great gospel. Let us never minimize it. Let us never call it less important than political agitation and activity. It is more important by far. Never let it be blunted We have all been children of darkness and agents of death. And now, through a blood-bought pardon of Jesus, life is very precious to us. If a man loses his soul, what shall he give in return, though he own the whole world? It's precious. We don't earn our life. We don't earn our pardon through political activity or pro-life preaching. It's a free gift. So what shall we do? We will pursue with joy the fullest possible blessing on the basis of our pardon. And that blessing, among other things, is right here in verse 3. Blessed are they who observe justice and who do righteousness at all times. Let's pray. Now, Father, tread down the demons by your word and by the blood of your Son. Tread them down. Undo their work. Nullify their effectiveness. Reveal their deceits and cancel their murderous intentions. And exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Work, O God, and stretch forth your mighty hand. Glorify your great creator name. And get rights over your person forming work in the womb. And take them back from all the priests of darkness. Glorify your mercy and your pardon by making the gospel of Jesus the most sweet sound in all the abortionist ears as they find forgiveness for 10,000 killings. Meet the women, Lord, in their crises, their life-altering, perhaps life-shattering crisis and give them all the care 
and consideration and hope and courage and cleansing and forgiveness that only you can give. And mobilize your people and make us a force for righteousness in the world, I pray, through Christ. Amen.